This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. All right, welcome to Defense Mechanisms 102. Many of you were very interested by Defense Mechanisms 101, and I told you it is really interesting. And so many people have been messaging me like, oh my God, I do this one all the time. I didn't know what that was. Oh my God, you know? And I'm like, I told you. We all do these things, but it's so interesting. I say interesting a lot, but that's what it is. These things are unconscious and like we don't really recognize it when we do it. But once someone explains it to you and why it might happen and what it looks like, then you start to notice it in yourself and other people. So I was following the hierarchy of defense mechanisms. I started from the top for defense mechanisms 101. So I started with all the healthier adaptive defenses, things like humor and affiliation and altruistic behavior. And so I made my way down, halfway down, I finished the neurotic defenses. And now I am getting into the immature defenses. So the next three I'm going to do are categorized as minor image distorting defenses. I will put a link and I'll go and put it in Defense Mechanisms 101 as well. I'm going to put a link to the actual rating scale and the article that talks about the rating scale so you can see the hierarchy of defenses for yourself if you're interested in that. And then if you feel like doing some further independent learning on defenses, by all means. And I mean, this is just one rating scale. There's lots of information about defense mechanisms um, that you could probably find just through a quick Google search. So have at it. All right, so the first defense mechanism that I'm going to talk about today is called devaluation. This one is kind of confusing to understand, but it's basically when people use a negative statement or they attach a negative quality to themselves or to someone else as a way to kind of boost their self-esteem. So devaluing someone else will cover up... um, like a vulnerability or something that someone feels shame over about themselves. So this makes me think about negative comments on social media. So people can undermine what somebody else has done that is impressive. They kind of dismiss it. So when people quickly, you know, will focus on the negatives of someone or something bad that they've done and then just totally skip over anything good that they've done. The major standout characteristic of devaluation is being dismissive. So it's a way to really not have to focus on like when they're devaluing their self, they're being very dismissive as a way to cover up or stay away from sharing what they're vulnerable about or what needs they have that are not being met. 
I'm trying to think of an example of a devaluation to someone else and then a self-devaluation. So let me think. These are probably terrible examples, but this is all I can think of right now. So let's say someone was like, oh, Bobby, your sister is doing so well in her beauty pageants. And then they say something like, yeah, our bathroom's covered in makeup all the time. Again, that is probably a terrible example, but that is, this is where my mind is right now. And then maybe something for devaluation of the self would be like, oh, Bobby, you're doing so well on Instagram. I see you've gained like 30,000 followers in the last year. And then Bobby says something like, yeah, they're probably all robots because my engagement sucks. Oh boy, Renee. Okay, well, you can see why these are, or this one is categorized under minor image distorting because it is kind of taking the image, whether it's a self-image or of someone else, and it's distorting it and devaluing it. So the next one is on the other side of the spectrum, and that is idealization. So a similar kind of defense, but instead of exaggerated negative qualities or dismissing um, positive qualities, it's the opposite. So it's exaggerating positive qualities of someone else or of themselves. People often exaggerate relationships that may be true relationships or may not be um, with other people or institutions that they believe are powerful or that other people see as important. So if somebody feels powerless or they feel unimportant, then they attach themselves to someone or something that they feel is important and powerful. So people often deny any kind of problem or if someone brings up um, something that is negative about themselves or the person that they're attaching themselves to, they will obviously deny it or to really dismiss it or downplay it. And oftentimes the alleged relationship or association that they have with the person or the thing that they're idealizing is often not real because again they're exaggerating. All right the last one in minor image distorting uh, is omnipotence. That is just a fun word to say. Try and say it out loud right now. One, two, three. Omnipotence. So when somebody has a negative emotion or they are stressed, anxious, whatever it might be, they act superior to others. All these defenses are very interesting because you can probably think of people in your life who, you know, either regularly or every once in a while, they find that someone is like they try and act superior and super arrogant. And if you look at it as a defense mechanism, it's like, oh, they're not, you know, they don't actually believe those things. They are uncomfortable or anxious or having whatever negative emotion and or like internal struggle and how they deal with it is acting superior to others. I am on season five of Real Housewives of New Jersey and I pick up like what a group of people. Wow. I pick up so many of these defenses that I've already talked about in all these people. It's fascinating to watch. And not just that, but also things that I used to code for attachment, which I should do that stuff in episodes as well, because that is also really, I'll say it again, interesting. Okay, I'm going to look up 
other words to use besides interesting. And I'll start using those for the rest of the episode. Okay, so stay tuned for that. See if you can pick out what words I'm replacing interesting with. Oh, what a fun game. Okay, the next set of defenses are under a category called disavowal. So the first one you're probably very familiar with is denial. So you're basically just not acknowledging some kind of reality because it's making you feel uncomfortable. Like it's pretty straightforward. So if somebody doesn't want to feel guilt or shame or be upset about thinking about something that happened in the past, they will just deny it, whether it be to other people or to themselves. They are just in denial. So they're not acknowledging it. So in the Defense Mechanisms 101 episode, we talked about repression. So suppression was when you suppress something in order to deal with it at a better time. So I think I gave the example of like being super emotional because something happens at the grocery store, but like keeping your shit together and then dealing with it when you get home. So that's suppression. And then repression is when you repress something, but you still have the emotional awareness of whatever the thing is that you're repressing. Denial is the opposite. Well, it's not the opposite, but it's further in that you're denying the existence of something, like you're not acknowledging it. And at the same time, you're not feeling the emotions either. So with repression, you are denying something but you still have those emotions like I think I gave the example of anxiety a lot of people have anxiety but they're not acknowledging why they have the anxiety but they still have the emotions come up if that makes sense so this is why denial would be lower on the hierarchy because you're denying both things you don't have the emotional connection to it and then you also don't have the knowledge or the acknowledgement of what's happening or what happened. One defense that I love, which is next on the list, is projection. So you deal with your internal or external stressors by attributing your unacknowledged feelings to somebody else. So I often talk about projection kind of like in a silly sense, like I project my hunger onto Milo. I project, you know, if I'm in the living room and I'm freezing and Milo's in a t-shirt and shorts, I'm like, oh my God, he must be freezing. Like I project my uncomfortableness onto him all the time. A really good example of projection that I did to my husband was when Milo was really sick. I think it was in September. Um, my husband was already at the hospital because he was on call, I believe. And so he was already in the eMERGE department and Milo was having like sore throat symptoms, just really irritable, not himself. And I texted my husband and he said, I spoke with the ER doctor here and he thinks it would be a good idea for you to bring Milo in. And like he had to obviously get tested for COVID. And then they did a bunch of other tests as well to see what was wrong with him. Luckily for me, my mom was visiting that weekend, so we packed a bag, brought Milo to the hospital where my husband was working, and my husband met us in the parking lot, and because it was COVID restrictions, only one parent could go in, and because my husband knows everybody there and he's comfortable in situations like this, he's the one that took Milo in. So my mom and I went and got like something to eat, and then we drove back home, and the whole time I was so stressed and verbalizing to 
to my mom like, oh, I feel so bad. Like, it must be so awful. Like, putting all my uncomfortableness and my stress and my anxiety onto my husband. And my mom was like, you're projecting, I don't know if she used these psychological terms, but she was like, you're projecting how you feel onto pre. Like, pre is probably fine. You're the one that is super stressed out and anxious. But what that does in that moment, I'm so uncomfortable, I'm so stressed, I'm so anxious. But instead of me acknowledging that it's me that feels that way and dealing with it like it's me, so I should be addressing it or doing something about it. I just put it onto my husband, like worrying and stressing about how my husband feels when really like he's fine. It's me that's the basket case. So that's a good example of projection. So instead of having to deal with your own vulnerabilities or emotions, you are putting the focus on someone else. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner... I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. 
you quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right, the quality is unmatched, you are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. Next up on the list is rationalization. I'm sure you're familiar with this one, you know, trying to rationalize your own behavior or someone else's behavior. I think about, you know, a couple, let's say one partner in the couple is a disaster, but the other person is constantly trying to rationalize their behavior to other people. Like, let's say friends are going to them concerned about how their partner is behaving or what they're doing, and they just rationalize everything. So rationalization does not mean that you are making excuses for someone's behavior that are true. Like if what you're saying to um, address why somebody is doing something or why you're doing something, but that's the honest truth, then that wouldn't be considered rationalization. But when it's not truthful rationalizations... And remember, defenses are usually unconscious. So I I can't say that word, unconscious. So it's not like the person knows. It's not like they're like, ooh, I'm going to devise this big plan and like explain why I'm doing this or why someone, like they truly believe it. Because to them, to acknowledge the truth of what's happening or why someone's doing something or why they're doing something, it's too uncomfortable. So hence it being a defense mechanism it would be painful to acknowledge and understand that your partner is doing something that is not caring and that is, you know, not in your best interests or doing something to hurt you. Like that is a difficult pill to swallow and acknowledge. So people use rationalization to try and, you know, rationalize why somebody is doing something or why they are doing something. 
Okay, the last one in disavowal, oh my god, disavowal is fantasy. So this is when somebody spends a lot of time daydreaming as a way to avoid maybe human relationships or stressors or having to problem solve or do kind of any action to, to fix something. So instead of actually acknowledging or fixing something, addressing something, speaking to an actual person, they kind of daydream or fantasize uh, themselves dealing with the issue. So that is kind of where the defense part of it comes in because they are able to feel like they're doing something productive in the daydream or in the fantasy. Um, So they have this idea that they're fixing things, that they are, you know, in power, and ultimately they feel like they're solving problems. Just, But they are aware that it is a fantasy or a daydream, but it still provides that sense of relief. An example of this that I'm sure you can picture is, you know, if there's a problem that someone has and you ask them, you know, oh, what are you going to do? And then they come up with this big elaborate, you know, plan of action that people know that is not realistic. And if you ask them like details of, oh, like, how are you going to do that? Or, you know, how are you going to pay for that? Or, you know, you need to have this score on this test to be able to get into that school. Like they don't want to hear the details and they can't really explain that into it, but they have made this kind of elaborate plan. Okay, the next one is called projective identification. So I already talked a little bit about projection, which was very situational and it's, you know, one person projecting their feelings onto the other person and then the other person is unaware. So like when I was projecting my feelings onto my husband, he was unaware that that was happening. Projective identification is a more long-term thing. It happens when people are in relationships over time. So it can be like a therapist and a client, you know, relationship. It can be a couple or it happens often in parenting. It is a hard defense to explain, but I'm going to tell you the example that I found online. So John meets up with his friend Mark. He says, Mark, you look like you've put on weight. And Mark feels hurt, angry, or embarrassed by his comment. So if Mark really has gained weight, then his uncomfortable feelings or feeling embarrassed likely just reflects his own feelings about the about himself gaining weight. If Mark has not gained weight, then why should he feel embarrassed or angry or upset that John said something? And if that was the case, then he has now identified with John's projection of uncomfortable feelings about body image. I like the way they describe it as you literally get stuck holding the bag of uncomfortable feelings that don't even belong to you in the first place. So that's what Mark would be doing after John makes a comment about him gaining weight. Now he feels uncomfortable when initially he had no idea, like he wasn't even thinking about that. 
I can see this kind of situation playing out a lot among moms and, you know, somebody making a comment about how you do something and, you know, before they made that comment, you had zero issues with what you were doing. It was working. Everybody was happy. But because someone says something like, oh, you give your child pouches, now you're thinking about it and it's a thing and you're going to go like question yourself now when you go to give your kid a pouch. And honestly, John, like, just don't comment on people's bodies, okay? It's 2021. We don't do that. I should have mentioned that projective identification is a major image distorting defense, and the other two in that category are splitting of self and splitting of others. And I will kind of explain them side by side. So splitting is when you completely look at yourself or someone else as all good or all bad. So you can't really combine like, oh, they have these positive characteristics and these negative characteristics. And like, you know, people are human and there's positives and negatives and we do all kinds of things and blah, blah, blah. No, it's like somebody is all good or all bad. And so they split. That's why it's called splitting. So things are very black and white. So people are unable to hold opposing thoughts, feelings, or beliefs. So it lets people completely disregard things because they have assigned them to be bad or they quickly embrace things because they assigned that to be good. Splitting can also go back and forth. So something can be, you know, all positive one second and then you know in your conversation down the road it's all negative now so trying to see things as good and bad and having the conflicting thoughts about something is too uncomfortable which is why they just quickly categorize things as good or bad i don't know if it's right but it makes me think about people who like they don't want to hear anything like if they think something, like they have an opinion about, you know, this is amazing and then you ask questions about it or bring up something that you heard that may be like a negative to that thing. They just like shut it down. It's like, nope. And obviously, like all these defensives are, you know, there's tons of research done on each and every one and tons of information. I am just giving like the very bare minimum of these defenses, but if you're interested in any single one, go and look into it. I assure you it will be absorbing, engrossing, fascinating, riveting, gripping, and compelling. All right, the last three defenses, and these are under action defenses. So these would be the most unhealthy defenses. It is the end of the hierarchy. I shouldn't say unhealthy, I should say not adaptive. So the first one is called acting out and it's exactly what it sounds like. So somebody gets upset, stressed out, anxious, whatever it might be, and they act out without even thinking about the consequences of what they're doing. So they smash their fist into a wall, they break something that they're holding on to. So in order for it to be the defense mechanism of acting out, it's not that every time somebody does something like this, it's considered a defense mechanism. So there has to be the reason in place and that kind of like internal or external stressor. 
So after the acting out, the person usually feels guilt or shame um, unless, you know, another defense mechanism comes into play really quickly, something like denial or trying to rationalize what they just did. So acting out is obviously maladaptive because they're not dealing with what is actually going on. And then at the same time, they are doing something that usually has really serious consequences like punching a hole in a wall, like getting into a fight or breaking something. Acting out can also be, I think, something like drug use, reckless driving, cutting themselves, having sex. These can all be acting out in certain situations. Okay, the next one is help rejecting complaining. I really quite enjoy this one. Not, I'm not saying I do it because I enjoy it. I'm just saying it is probably something that you'll hear what it is and you'll be like, oh my God, yes. Like you'll probably think of a situation when somebody has been a help rejecting complainer. So it's pretty self-explanatory. The, you know, you can think of someone who is constantly complaining about something. So that is the help that they're asking for, let's say. And then they're rejecting any kind of help that they are offered or complaining about the help that's being offered, that it's not good enough. And then they just continue in the cycle of help, asking for help, rejecting, complaining, help, reject, complaining. Um, so it is situations where someone is complaining about something, they're suffering from something, and relief is just never possible. It doesn't matter what people suggest to them. They've tried everything. They've been to every doctor. No doctor cares about them. That is just one example. And of course, I mean, let me be honest, there's lots of situations where things like we visit doctors and we're not getting the help that we necessarily need. Like this is not an uncommon thing, but that would not be considered the defense mechanism, help rejecting complaining. Because again, it's not a defense mechanism if it's not serving a purpose of trying to lower some kind of stressor in the person. So typically this defense is like it comes up because somebody, you know, over their past experiences re realizes or thinks that nobody can ever satisfy their needs. So their way of showing anger is by rejecting people's help as not being good enough while continuing to ask for more. All right, folks, it's the last defense mechanism. It's the last one on the little hierarchy. And this one, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, is passive aggression. So dealing with stressors or unpleasant emotions by indirectly and unassertively expressing aggression towards others. And this can be done in so many different creative ways. So when we use passive aggression, we usually feel powerless. We resent the person that we are doing this behavior towards. And when we do the behavior, usually we have a little sense of joy because our passive aggressive behavior is causing discomfort in the person that we are resentful towards or that we're upset at. 
So one topic that I love to talk about is martyr tendencies, and these are a form of passive aggressive behaviors because we are, if you think about a time where you had a martyr behavior, and I've had them, it was like I'm doing it because I'm in, I'm angry and I'm resentful in the moment. So I'm like, oh, like, never mind. I'll just do it myself. It's not like my thought process is, listen, honey, why don't you go take a seat on the couch and I'm going to bring Milo up and do his bath by myself, okay? No, it's like I'm pissed off and I'm like, fine, I'll just do it myself and like huff and puff and I'm pissed. And that is a form of passive aggressive behavior, which is funny because it's me who at the end of the day is suffering but we think that behavior and doing it ourselves and then huffing and puffing and holding a grudge and giving the silent treatment is making the other person uncomfortable which it probably is but this is why it is a low functioning defense mechanism oh my gosh i'm at 27 minutes okay I'm going to end it here. So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this little defense mechanism chat and you found it riveting. Um, If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening. If you are on Apple Podcasts, you can follow the show. Have you checked out the merch yet? Because it is phenomenal. It is at themomroomshop.com. I am on TikTok and Instagram at the.mom.room and the podcast account is beautiful and it's on Instagram at themomroompodcast. I hope you guys have a fantastical weekend. If you are near a restaurant that serves a watermelon margarita, go and get one. Highly recommend. And I hope your children sleep tonight. Are you looking for a podcast that'll make you laugh? You came to the wrong place. That's not us. That's not us. <laughs> well, it is. We are a husband and wife who chat about raw, real relationship yeah, topics. like sex. Like money. Like marriage and kids. But we're not afraid to talk about how your newborn baby probably isn't as cute as you think it is. If you're in need of entertainment while you're driving to work, because that sucks, we can join you in the suckage, kind of like being in your ear. Not physically. So if you want to laugh, come check us come out. Come check us out. Brought to you by the Laughing Couple Podcast. Ha <laughs> ha!